What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I've got Matt Butler, Jonathan Colmenares from Open Strategy. Matt Butler also works at BBC Studios after a stint in the agency world. Matt is over in London. Jonathan is over in New York. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi there. Good evening. Now, I know a lot of people would know you through your generous work at Open Strategy. Tell me how it came together and why. Jonathan and I first met actually at an agency and I was much more junior than him. And uh, I was kind of a bit freaked out that there wasn't, you know, that many, you know, training and resources out there for young planners. And Jonathan was very generous with his time and always teaching me stuff. And we sort of pondered on this a bit and we kind of felt like we could create a tool whereby, you know, it's got all those tools and resources in one place for people. So it started as a website, right? Just a website? Yeah. Well, I suppose even before that, it was kind of a Google spreadsheet that Jonathan and I created. (laughs) And, uh, it became more and more extensive and then we'll be sending links of the spreadsheets people and they'll go, this is really useful. But I think what turned it into a website was then kind of going, if we want this to be a community where we share knowledge, then people need to be able to submit links. And um, we kind of, one of my friends was a developer and he kind of had a nice way of just kind of building it into a website. But with the Slack group and the newsletter, I think that open exchange of knowledge kind of helped everyone be better at what they do you know and i think that's when the community element for me really surprised me i think when we started the website i didn't foresee it turning into more of a community and i think that that's what when it kind of took to another level really even the newsletter itself uh, we didn't really plan for it at the beginning we just created it because we had like a ton of people just subscribe like just asking for it and subscribing to it, asking like, hey, is there a newsletter? So we know when there's updates and stuff like that. And we were like, wow, there's like a massive spikes in traffic to our website. And we're like, let's put a newsletter subscription box somewhere and see what we do with it. And basically at the beginning, we were, we were having people subscribing without even having a newsletter. And we kind of like figured out what kind of thing we could do. Uh, mm-hmm. with the newsletter afterwards and that's kind of how the newsletter was created and kind of the same thing for for slack later on what kind of stuff were you collecting in the spreadsheet and when was this so we launched in what 2015 january 2015 like the website mm-hmm. itself so it was probably like over 2014 so whether like probably like summer like spring summer 2014 we were collecting these things and sharing it with mm-hmm. a couple of people who kind of told us it was useful uh, but yeah, I, th- I guess that's yeah, that's around that time. Like Matt, like correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's right. And I think the the thing that was hard, I don't know if you remember, Jonathan, with the spreadsheet was getting the categorization right. And you know, it's still so you know subjective what what you kind of categorize things. But the fact that we had tools on there, but also um, kind of slide shares like stuff you've done, Mark. It was you know, it was quite. We kind of rearranged things quite a lot. So that was that was a bit of a challenge. Like we had a reason to start it, to be fair, and we we knew why we were we were doing it. It wasn't just to kind of like serve ourselves or I don't know a way to self promote ourselves and stuff like that. It was really like yeah, we wanted to kind of create something that was use, useful to the community, and I think it helped because at the beginning it kind of drove a lot of the things that we did, uh, and it helped us kind of stay focused on how we were doing things and what we were doing. Uh, and yeah, sure, having a physical presence helped. Although, although like in New York, um, the community, let's say, was much like much more harder to, I don't know, 
get enthusiastic about about it uh, in London. Like I, I don't know if you remember Matt, but when we starting when we started doing like drinks, just like really random casual drinks to meet up. Like I don't know in New York. Like I think the first one there were like ten people who came who came up, and mm. in London I think there were like sixty or seventy people who showed up at the pub. Um, so it's kind of like I don't know. To me, it was a very it was very telling about the yeah the community the local communities so what degree did anger drive you uh, <laughs> on my end 100 <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, i've got to say for me as well in the sense that i joined an in this industry i was really energetic um and really up for like learning and they're just i was frustrated that there wasn't that you know, there was a lack of training resources out there and I didn't want to become some Google planner where I didn't get, you know, the proper, what they call planning training or whatever. So I kind of felt like I had to take matters into my own hands without sounding quite dramatic about it. But yeah, anger, I suppose, was one emotion, not not too strong, but it was definitely one. <laughs> yeah, I think anger is a useful thing to pay attention to as long as you can work out how to follow it up with something constructive. I think that's the thing. It's kind of like it's not just anger for the sake of being angry. It's more like being discontent with the way things are. To this day, there's still a lot to be discontent with uh, in this industry. And I think like a lot of people are confusing this with being like, I don't know, frustrated and I don't know, being angry about things like without any other objective than being angry about it. Uh, but I think discontent is a is a great thing uh, to when you when you are trying to do something in a slightly better way, uh, and mm. I think that's that's a lot of what what drove us uh, for open strategy, and I guess to this day still drives us like in what we do. I, I guess. Mm. Which parts of the website were most used? From my memory, it was the um, strategy templates um, section followed by consumer oh, yeah, research, sure. and yeah, and yeah. I think that. So that's where one of your presentations would have featured in Mark. But it, but for me, that was what informed us knowing that we needed for to you know at least from my perspective to grow um, open strategy was to go into more training and events. What people wanted was that you know in depth knowledge and training that you're not going to get from Google Trends. And you know now you're doing so much of that good stuff. Um, but for me, that was really interesting that that was the top category yeah and, um, and to be fair like the template part is really interesting because ultimately I, I, I do remember that's something i was frustrated with uh, when i was like uh, starting out in the industry and i think like every junior person that hasn't really had a like a, had a start uh, at this at doing this it's kind of hard to start from a blank page uh, even though like all the super senior people in this industry keep saying like there's no format for creative brief there's no format for creating an amazing presentation and everything but when you've never done it you kind of need to have boxes to fill to make you feel more comfortable putting your thinking on a, on a piece of paper it just helps it reassures because you don't have mm -hmm. to create like the template itself you just have to put your thinking on it I'm not saying it's a, it's the best solution or whatever, but I know that the template is always helpful when you're when you're very junior. Uh, it kind of it's reassuring to know like oh I can fill those boxes and it helps me mm. clear my th like clarify my thinking. 
I mean, it's a strange idea to hire people into roles with which they have no experience and then to not necessarily train or mentor them. It feels like an abdication of responsibility, but also maybe not even the right thing to do in the first place, except that people who are new to the industry are usually cheaper. You guys are now four years on, right? And I know that at some point we all have this pro-youth fire in our bellies and you know the old guard just doesn't pay attention and whatnot but you know over four years that's that's enough time to mature uh, a lot or maybe not in someone's case john Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm joking how do you see that set of issues now so junior people getting hired into roles maybe or maybe not because they're cheaper agencies not supporting them and then expecting them to succeed and then also using the excuse well You just make it up as you go. You can self-teach. How do you understand that now? Do you understand that set of issues differently now to when you were four years ago? I personally think that the community has got stronger. And like you said, there's other communities out there that are not open strategy where planners and strategists or whoever are meeting up and educating each other in a way. Um, I don't think that agencies have got lots better. I think there's a few agencies, but I think it's driven by you know, the head of planning or the CSO really caring about training and really driving it forward. Whereas before VCCP, they had this whole training program when I started and it was all driven by the heads of department really caring about wanting to train the next generation of planners. Um, But I know that the majority of people I spoke to, that hadn't changed. Um, I don't know if it's any different in in America, Jonathan, or no, I don't think so, to be fair. Like from, so I, I'm a little bit outside of the agency circuit because I'm freelancing now, so I'm moving around a lot. Uh, so I'm seeing a lot of agencies, but I'm not really part of the teams on a more regular basis where I can see how they train people and everything. But I think in America, it's, even, it's probably even worse than London from a training perspective, at least for, like, yeah, for junior people. There are stronger communities over there. People like Groupthink and, and others. It really feels like, we are back in a cycle where, yeah, we're up there with more people, like with more people trying to kind of share knowledge and kind of encourage training and stuff like that. But still, it's not the official way, like in proper kind of agency training mentorship mm. uh, scheme, but more in an unofficial outside of work hours um, kind of way. I think there's definitely a bit of a gap, and you're kind of serving that gap, Mark, in the sense that unless you're a big agency, you know, if you're a BBH or whatever, and or even VCCP, you can pay to you can pay for people to do the IPA qualifications. Um, but smaller agencies, where they may not have that money or they can't justify um, investing in it, there's a gap for people that still need training, but you know they can't spend thousands of pounds per course, but could possibly spare 100, 200, 300, 400 pounds to go on a course. And I think that. We obviously, our tool was free and we made money via advertising, a very small amount obviously, but I think there's a there's a gap for people like yourself that are running courses or you know something in between. It just seems like there's, you either need loads of money or then there's free, but there's not anything in between. Yeah, and that was also like talking about money, that was also a thing that kind of drove the creation of, of Open Strategy is also seeing all these tours when we were looking at strategy, like young strategy people, it felt like a lot of them were, were coming from like those big portfolio schools that cost like a million dollars a year. <laughs> and we kind of were like, it doesn't help create like a, like, I don't know, an interesting community of strategies when you only have people who can afford 
spending like a few grand for like th a three months portfolio school. And not that there's anything wrong with those schools. It's just when everyone seems to be coming from these places, it doesn't really help the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were trying to kind of like, yeah, by providing like as much free stuff as possible, knowing that agencies weren't really filling that gap. Uh, you have stuff like Matt was mentioning, like the APG, the IPA, where you can get training and stuff, but still you need the agency to kind of pay for it uh, if you want to do it. So it was trying to kind of bridge the, bridge the gap that was existing between those, all these different things. Why don't you think more training happens for, for strategists? And I, I need to give a personal point of view that I, I don't think training is the end point. I think, well, I think self-development is the start and end point and hopefully a little training gets sprinkled onto that. And I've always been frustrated when people are like, I don't get any training. And then you ask them what books they're reading and they're not reading a book or they're not doing any research of their mm -hmm. own. You've, you've got to do that. It has to be your path and you have to invest time in it. And often the self-development is the richest, not always. Why don't you think enough training happens? I think there's a couple of factors and Jonathan, I'd be interested to get your thoughts, but time, I mean, like agencies are, running to stand still well that's a sweeping generalization but you know everyone everyone's working crazy hours and you know to even to have 10 minutes on top of the craziness to put time into training it just always gets put at the bottom of the pile because, because of the business model or whatever the average tenure i don't know what it is of someone at an agency now but i know under 30 i remember once hearing that people don't stay in an agency for more than 18 months in, in London. I, don't quote me on it. I need to check my sources. But I think that when you invest in training, you also, you know, for it to be worthwhile, you kind of want people to, you want them to be around. But I know a lot of junior people will sort of jump around every year or less. I think that perhaps makes it harder to justify. My personal experience is people, the agencies I've been to where they do it, it's driven by an individual that cares. It's not an issue that can be talked about just as a silo thing it comes from a larger problem within the agency world. So you could talk about like the, how agencies have lost credibility uh, to kind of actually work on really kind of big problems for their client and it's becoming harder for them to ask for a bigger budget and usually they even get shrinking budget. So less money means less time, less staff. If you have less time and less staff, it's harder to carve out training sessions, mentorship uh, time and all that kind of stuff. As Matt was saying, it really becomes a, a matter of having someone who really cares enough about putting the extra effort because it is an extra effort uh, in mm -hmm. the agency environment today to mm -hmm. kind of like make sure that like they will put things in place that allows for junior people to get training. It speaks to a larger problem than just training in agencies. I think it's a larger agency problem overall. Mm. And my, you know, my perspective on it is that it's it's the investment in the people and the training that makes people stay somewhere. Like if you're if you're a junior, you're not going to be getting paid too much money, and most people are quite hungry to learn and they're quite curious people. And if they don't feel like they're growing, then they get frustrated and they go. And you know, VCCP was the longest I was at any agency before um, I went to the BBC, and part of it was because you know they invested in me and others, and you felt like you're growing, learning, getting better, and. Uh, I think that this is only anecdotal, but I've, I've heard that, you know, there's more and more people leaving agencies or planners going to these big tech companies and other things. And, and part of the allure from what I've heard from talking to people is that there will be that better training and there will be that stuff on the other side. 
which is really appealing. I do think that it's something that if people don't start, you know, taking more seriously, then uh, they're going to keep losing, you know, great potential talent. It's an odd thing to look at. I mean, you look at the best in the world at anything and practice is a huge part of their days. I mean, you look at the Premier League, you look at soccer around the world, they're not playing games every single day. You know, then it's not like, no, it's cool. You, you'll get better just by playing teams. No, you practice, practice, practice. Jiu-jitsu, art, poetry, writing, practice, practice, practice. And then some kind of mm. perfor- performance or game or match, right? I'd love to see an agency or two do some kind of experiment such as we're going to commit 10% of our time to training. We're going to reduce default meeting times by 15%. I'm making these numbers up. Uh, and let's see what happens. Let's work out what we want to measure. Are people more engaged? Are they doing better work? Are we winning more? Are we keeping more people? You know, is there, is there less opportunity cost because we're losing people? It seems obvious. I also think there's a, a slab of people in the industry, broadly speaking. I don't mean to write off. I'm about to write off a ton of people. I'm not. But I don't think a lot of people know what they're doing. So to even be able to train people is a problem right now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah I, I totally agree with that. And I think that's one of the issues in this industry is that like, there's not, um, I don't want to say um, like we should all have like some based knowledge like some mandatory based knowledge and some like entry exam or whatever but like i I feel like there's a lot of people who who you talk to who've kind of went up the ranks within agency the agency world and stuff and you talk to them and you don't really feel like they know that much about what they're doing it's it's been more of a political game to rank up and i think that's that's another issue i feel to me in this industry when it comes to training there's issues from the agency side, but there's also issues from the kind of more strategist side where you see a lot who are more interested in getting bigger job titles, getting awards and all these shiny objects over getting the, the actual knowledge to kind of put in the like proper work. And I think it creates like a, like a vicious circle of like, uh, I'd rather go f- move up fast rather than take the time and really understand what I'm doing. So it's more important to be a strategy director in like, I don't know, four or five years, even though like you might not really know much about what you're doing, instead of like spending the time and kind of move up maybe slow, a little bit more slowly, but actually take the time to kind of master each stage mm. of your growth in a way. And I think that's, that's another issue is that like it's becoming a rat race. Well, tell me a little bit more about the Slack group. How many people did you have in it? And what surprised you about the Slack group for open strategy? Uh, close to 4,000. Yeah, 3,800 3, people roughly. Uh, so it's very similar to the newsletter subscribers then? Or maybe we had, newsletter. We had, we had more mm. newsletter when we yeah. started. We were closer to 5,000 on the newsletter when we mm. started. Uh, but it's interesting because it's, it keeps growing uh, slowly even though there's almost no way to get access to like the the invite link i have to reshare it like every once in a while because people are asking for it um but what's surprising is how it's a community that that lives without us the other other surprising bit to me is is a question that i see popping up like quite often is like yeah but how much time do you spend looking for information rather than just going to the community and be like hey has, everyone, has anyone done this work before and can share it with me, please? Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's an interesting question. Like, and I think it's always, it always needs a balance because it's not about doing your own research all the time or no, no, like always asking for someone else to give you the, a work like ready-made. Uh, but yeah, I, I love how this is a contentious 
questions in a lot of communities, especially in strategy communities. Matt, what, what about you? What did you observe about the Slack community? Um, I suppose it's similar to kind of what Jonathan's saying. I wasn't expecting to be so hands-off. And in a way, it was really nice to just be a lurker <laughs> and, um, and actually just use the community myself. You know, Open Strategy, Jonathan and I were having to do a level of curation, whereas the Slack group, I was using it myself. <laughs> and uh, every you know brief I worked on, I'd sort of ping a message out. It was also just great to be able to have private conversations with people as well. And, you know, as much to the credit of Slack and the way they built it. But again, Slack and newsletter were a massive surprise to me in terms of how they took off. I remember Jonathan on the newsletter just started it. And in my head, I was like, well, this isn't going to do anything. And then <laughs> it ended up becoming one of the most you know, valuable touch points of the open strategy world but it's just because they're rich communities and it's easy for people to participate um, and it's very rewarding very quickly you know if you've got a question you can get a response very quickly from someone around the world and people are willing to help each other so it's very dynamic in that sense because it could easily just turn into people just sharing memes and you know having long drawn out conversations with nothing to do with strategy but it managed to stay about sharing links and tools and resources but i suppose that's what the site was about originally so maybe that's that's how it remained that way yeah i think in in altruism or in donations the idea of leader mm. leadership behavior is important so i guess what you're saying there is you set the you, you kind of led the community by saying we are about sharing links and helping each other get better and sharing frameworks well also i, f I find most communities self-correcting and you usually need to moderate them less than you expect, especially where people use their professional or real identities or where those identities are easy to find. And with the professional world, I mean, why is someone going to misbehave? Because they might meet someone who'll give them a job that could earn them 10, 20, $30,000 yeah. more over a period of time. So the stakes are kind of high and in a good way. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, okay, three, three questions I want to ask you. Let's go Matt and then John. These are similar questions. What did you learn about community in general, Matt? I think that it does take persistent effort to keep it going. I mean, Jonathan and I both had day jobs, but there was a lot of work behind the scenes to kind of deliver on that newsletter every week and to respond to comments quickly and there's a level of preparation with getting the right people involved early on. Um, like people like yourself, Mark, who already have, a, you know, quite a engaged following. And, you know, there was, there was a lot behind the scenes, I think that went on, that I didn't expect would need to be done to get it to a certain level. I think that the growth of Oven strategy really started when the community element was integrated. So the thing I learned about it was how valuable the community is and how, you know, a community can do way more work than you can do yourself um, so the more that you can put to the community and let them run it, the better. Mm -hmm. John? I'd say a couple of things. First, talking about like building a community, it, like one, one thing I learned is it always helps having big, reputable names uh, talking about you at the beginning. Uh, when we launched the website, having like we had like quite a few CSOs and head of strategies that were big on the internet, so bloggers and big on Twitter and, sh and stuff like that. Like it definitely helped a lot because they were sharing it and be like, hey, that's awesome, please share it. And so it really helped make it something that people kind of trusted it enough to join even though they never heard about it before. 
And second, I'd say letting, like what Matt was saying, is probably the most most useful learning is however much you can let the community kind of almost do the work and be there to basically manage it. It's, yeah, it's the best way because you, you can't possibly do everything uh, alone. But yeah, like having the community behind it really helped a ton because people were kind of sending links to interesting tools because you know we can scan the internet for like forever and find everything that's out there so like it helped us like finding interesting articles interesting links interesting tools and all that kind of stuff so yeah like having that like it's always good to see like don't try to do everything by yourself just kind of rely on the community and kind of it will like respond back in a way Mm -hmm. Uh, and then what have you learned about planners exclusively through open strategy and what you built there it's a diverse bunch of people planners i think that there's a stereotype of what a planner is i think that from using open strategy there's i learned that there's loads of people in all sorts of agencies from actually quite different backgrounds i haven't met one that doesn't want to learn i mean the cliche is that planners are curious but Everyone just had a massive thirst for knowledge and getting their hands on anything they could to do better with their job. It was just really amazing to see that. And it consequently meant that it was an engaged community. If you put something out there of value, people responded really positively to it. It was just that that such interesting people that will draw inspiration from so many different places and are generally a very open-minded bunch of people. Um, So I think that the more stuff you put out there, the more that they're willing to change the way they do things, relook at something from a different perspective. And and consequently, I think that the output of strategy work, the output of creative work is, is only going to get better. Mm-hmm. John? So I agree with Matt, uh, but at the same time, I wonder, like, because we were definitely not attracting, like, we were not talking to every single planner in the world uh, with open mm-hmm. strategy. And I think, obviously, by the very own nature of open strategy, we tended to attract like strategies who are very kind of interested in learning kind of self-development and being curious about strategy and trying to get better and better like every day so i think it's kind of skews our, our views on mm-hmm. strategy community i would say we probably attracted that kind of strategies even though i would i would agree that to be a good strategist you probably need these uh, qualities originally anywhere after three years running open strategy, like I grew tired of talking about strategy. So I wonder if that's my learning uh, from strategy <laughs> that you can you can talk so much about strategy before getting tired of it. Okay. Uh, just just to quickly just to quickly add to it, I think that one thing I noticed through doing it was that every planner there was a part of their planning skill set that they wanted to improve. So you would get a lot of, say, for instance, more digital or social planners that would use the tool and be very familiar with the tools that wanted to improve their brand planning skills, whereas you would get a kind of very traditional brand planner that is not well-versed in a lot of the online tools. So you got the sense that there was always within a planner some key element or two that they wanted to really improve. And I think that having it in a way that you could allow people to find that thing they wanted to improve, I think, was um, was a big learning and lesson for me. Yeah, on the, on the curiosity thing, I do think that the main static or the main interference for that trait is the need to feel or protect one's status as one becomes more senior. And sometimes the curiosity can turn off. 
you know, sometimes people will think, you know what, I've, I've made it here. I don't need to keep learning. I don't, I've got nothing to learn because I'm already intelligent. Or, you know what, I'm only going to learn from those top three academics that everyone's talking about, whatever it is. Uh, but it can be this real a status rises or someone feels their sense of status rising. It can make their curiosity either turn off or just go more private. But you're not going to be a very good planner if you're not curious and, and open. You know, Because when we say curious, mm. I think we're just talking about the O in the big five personality traits where that is O for openness, openness to new ideas mm. and experiences. John, you've kind of given an answer to this, but what, what have you learned about yourselves through the three to four years of open strategy? That's the thing that's always been driving me in a way, but I think those three, four years of intense strategy-related work around open strategy, like really showed me that I'm really not that interested in talking about strategy to strategy people and advertising people and marketing people. I think there's much more much more stuff to see and look and learn from out there, uh, outside of, of this. And I think that's one of the things I've really learned through it. In a way, it kind of drove more of my discontent because I feel like more and more this industry is kind of talking to itself and living through posture and things like that. I love my job, but I'm not really, I'm not really keen on, on the industry itself. So I like what I'm doing. I don't like being part of what I'm doing, <laughs> mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It, make, it makes sense. I've had phases of that. I didn't really identify with the job and, and the industry. You know, I was making internet things and rap magazines from the age of being a teenager. Uh, and at the same time, I feel kind of fortunate because there are people around my age and older that, and they can say, I just fell into it. And then when I go around America, for example, there are people desperate to get into it. So I feel kind of yeah. privileged. Mm-hmm. And also having burnt out several times, writing about strategy, doing strategy work, enjoying or not enjoying many years in some agencies. I see it a bit differently now because I think at the heart of what we're talking about is critical thinking, creativity, and how to live a good life. And when those three things come together for me, I'm not just talking about a brief. I mean, you want to talk about freelancing or how to write a good brief? To me, they're at the low level of what we're actually talking about or what we could talk about. I've been re-energized, partly through what you guys doing actually as a trigger it sort of it made me remember what i was into because i wasn't really into the job at for quite a long time it was tough because it was so hard to do mm. good work without having to work with wankers who didn't want you to yeah. succeed or who didn't want to do good work or didn't want you to get paid who were just continually trying to get in the way of things to me it's exactly what you were saying about being re-energized and that's what having lived through a strategy kind of made me like in a way Getting out of it, it re- re-energized me for the work. Uh, but yeah, got me tired of like working with wankers, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what did you learn about yourself? What have you learned about yourself? Um, I suppose the honest answer is that I've learned that I like helping people or teaching or, you know, that kind of more education thing. I find that really rewarding. So I think since Open Strategy, I'm doing stuff outside of strategy that is kind of fulfilling that. I mean... I suppose I learned that I'm kind of, I've got more perseverance than I thought I had in the sense that this was a tool that I didn't expect to be running for so many years and put so much graft into. I sort of ended up really caring about it. And I, yeah, I just think giving back and, you know, community, it feels, it feels really good. And it, and, and I think that on a, on a value level, I realized that it reinforces your own political stance as well, you know when you're someone that believes that, you know, this should be open up, opened up to everyone and everyone should be on a level playing field and that training and education is important, when you meet people that have a different view, 
it kind of makes you think, oh, hang on, actually, I do actually have a really strong point of view here. And then it kind of goes back into your personal life. And, you know, I kind of then got into other organisations and got more involved in politics and other things. So it was a massive, you know, personal development thing for me as well. Um, learning what matters to me, um, what my worldview is. And, and it's also just helped me realise that I probably do want to one day run my own business or do something where I'm responsible. I like having the responsibility of something, whether it's going to do well or not. So it was quite a big, big thing for me. That's um, awesome. And, I, and I, I think that you will find it echoing in your life for many years to come. And I would guess that if you don't pay attention to those echoes for a while, if your life stays changes, if you get involved with the family, for example, if you disappear into a job and you don't pay attention to those echoes, first of all, now you know where to look, but it, you'll feel like you're not yourself. And then all of a sudden you'll probably stumble back into some kind of teaching, coaching, community role. And you'll be like, oh, this is what I missed all the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, I got two last questions for you both. Has doing open strategy made you better strategists? Hmm. Good question. So directly, yeah. It forced us to quality check whatever we were sharing. So it kind of forced us to do the, the work uh, on our own before like, either adding something to the website or sharing something in the newsletter and everything. So I guess like it's the self-development part meets the actual open strategy work uh, that we needed to do uh, because ultimately, yeah, I got to read and listen and use so many things uh, over the like, like the past three or four years that it forced me to kind of learn more about strategy and so very directly yeah uh, that helped i guess it was almost the excuse to to train myself then running a community is something slightly different like it's more on a human level so i don't know if it makes me a better strategist or better or, or if it made me a better human but yeah, i guess it's linked yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think at the time I was also doing a lot of IPA and APG training at VCCP. So, and that was obviously more on the brand planning side. But I think in terms of open strategy, I became more first in a lot of the online tools. You know, even just all the slide shares that I spoke to all these people about. You know, it was this added training that I was getting. I don't know if this is kind of an answer to your question, but I think it made me a better doer. It's a kind of point of contention because, you know, particularly in a lot of advertising agencies, you have account people, producers and a planner or a strategist is there to do the planning and strategy. But I think that there's this part of me that developed that was also a bit of a doer and someone that could kind of um, lead or push things forward. And I think that my new role at BBC has been really valuable to kind of develop that part of me as well. It's not kind of directly um, something that's related to strategy, but it kind of made me... I felt like strategy, you know, there's an element of it being useful being a doer as well. And and knowing the practicalities of actually making something happen is helpful when you're in that kind of thinking phase as well. All right, final question. Neither of you are currently full-time strategy people inside an agency. Matt, you're at BBC Studios. John, you're living the freelance life. I'll start with you, John. How has life changed for you since you made since you made that shift? I'm happier. <laughs> you know, we're always talking about like how freelance is just the illusion of freedom when full time is the illusion of security. But I don't know. I just realized that the illusion of freedom was one illusion that I was feeling happier in. 
I get to choose a little bit more my projects. Uh, I'm not, I don't have to care about like the job title that I have and stuff because at the, at the end of the day, I'm hired to be a strategist doing strategy work and that's it. It's good to not have to care about those things, uh, like the internal politics of the agencies and stuff. So to me, it's really, I don't know, it's been a proper relief uh, because I still get to do interesting work. I get more time uh, also for myself because I can take more time off whenever I want to. To me, it's been more fulfilling. Uh, I get to travel more, which is even better. Like I can't see myself going back to a full-time job in, a, in an agency. Yeah. So I get more purpose from my work in the sense that I really care about the product that I'm marketing or advertising, so the BBC shows. Um, so that's made a massive difference in terms of my motivation. I think my work-life balance is better. My hours are nowhere as crazy as they were an agency, which means that I can do music outside of work and other things, which as, as I think has made me better on my job because I'm less stressed at work. So <laughs> my thinking is uh, is better. And oddly, I don't really miss the agency world yet. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's only sort of been nearly a year since I left, but I don't miss the kind of pitches and the late nights. I think that the thing I'd miss is the kind of hustle and the energy, but I think that I've tried to bring that to work where I am now, and there's other people there that are really passionate. You kind of get that as well. So, And I think, Matt, it's a very important point uh, that I kind of forgot about too is, since leaving the agency kind of world itself, like at least the full-time world, I also think that my thinking got be- much better, clearer, uh, because less less convoluted, less, I don't know, less, less of a lot of things uh, that was making the thinking probably not as good as it could be. And I think that's something that agencies should be worrying about a little bit because mm. that's the one of the things they should, like, they're selling and that they should be selling more. But the nature of agencies, you know, with billable hours or whatever else, there's certain planning things you need to do on certain jobs. You know, you have to write briefs for certain projects that maybe don't need a long brief. Or I think the difference for me going at the BBC is that they're not used to all that process of what a planner would do in an agency. So it's kind of up to you how you kind of define what that is. And I think that, you can, it's nice to have the confidence to go, well, I'm going to do it this way for this project because this will be the best use of time and energy. And I mean, having that flexibility has been great as well. Well, I want to say thank you to both of you and to everyone who who has been part of the Open Strategy community. I came across you guys probably four to five years into my time in New York. I felt that I'd lost my voice. I found it very hard to do strategy or planning work that led to work that I thought was good and that made me question my own credibility and my own skills. And so when you guys popped up and recycled some old things I'd done and then when you asked me to come to London and we did did that talk with Richard Huntington and then had me uh, contribute to the email newsletter, it just helped me reconnect with my voice and feel confident again. So I know you've played a role in thousands of people's lives, but you played a very specific role in mine. I want to thank you for that. That's great. <laughs> You're welcome. No problem. Cool. <laughs> well, that, well, that wasn't awkward, you weirdos. Uh, where can people find you guys on the internet? Where are you most active? I do a lot of retweeting on Twitter nowadays. Um, 
uh matt butler 07 i believe it is but and also on instagram yeah that's me i suppose i'm trying to spend less time online which i probably shouldn't say yeah same same thing i'm um doing a little bit of twitter uh but that's it on mr jonath so my usual stuff mr jonath um a little bit like matt i'm kind of staying away a little bit from all of this so yeah that's probably where you, you find me the most. It's funny when my question somehow leads to uh, an existential self-examination, which I think is partly what just happened. But anyway, thank you for joining me on Sweathead today, guys. <laughs> Big thanks thank on behalf you. of everyone whose lives you've helped change just a little bit. <laughs> Peace.